I can remember while I was in college at Rolla studying nuclear engineering, we had all sorts of things that we needed to do, and we would look at our textbooks, and we would see all of these, these equations and all of these um, principles and all of these scientific things that were discovered, and we were to believe those things to be true and to do our own experiments based upon that information provided to us. But we had to trust that the authors of those textbooks knew what they were talking about. We had to believe that which we did not see for ourselves since we didn't do those experiments that the authors of the textbook had done. And so we as students in that program had to have faith, faith in what we did not see, which is those experiments that the authors of those textbooks did. Faith that they are worth trusting and that this material is accurate and true so that we can move forward with our studies. That kind of faith is a natural kind of faith. That kind of faith is the same kind of faith when a little boy asks his brother, where's mom? And, and his brother says, she's in the kitchen, and he goes off to the kitchen. He believes what his brother said, and even though he doesn't see mom because he's not in that same room, he's told she's in the kitchen, so he goes to the kitchen. He acts on that belief. Natural kind of faith. Usually when we say faith, though, we mean a supernatural kind of faith. The kind of faith that we hear about in our second reading from the letter to the Hebrews. The kind of faith that Abraham had. Supernatural faith is a faith that is based upon God and his promises. God reveals himself. He tells us about himself. He promises us different things. And if we believe him and act accordingly, then we are acting on and living out a supernatural kind of faith. Why is it supernatural? It's above nature. It's beyond nature. Take, for example, what we hear about with Abraham. The first thing we hear is that he left his homeland and went on a journey because God promised him an inheritance, but God didn't tell him where he's going to go and what he's going to do. Does that really make a whole lot of sense to go on a journey and not know where you're going? Well, he trusted God, so he went. God tells him he's going to give him numerous descendants, and yet he's beyond the normal age, and the author of Hebrews says he might as well be dead, and his wife is sterile, and yet he still believes what God had told him, that even though it's not naturally possible to have children, somehow his descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, or as countless as the sands on the seashore. And then, when he does have a child, God tells him to sacrifice his child. Well, how can he have numerous descendants if the only child that he has is put to death? Well, he believed God, that God could even raise from the dead. And so he believed that even if he did kill his own son, God would bring his son back to life again. That's not normal. That's not natural. That's a supernatural kind of faith. Believing what God had said. We're given a different description of faith at the very beginning of our passage from the letter to the Hebrews. It says, faith is the realization of what is hoped for and evidence of things not seen. What's hoped for, these promises that God has given, and he's living it out so he's coming to realization. 
evidence of things not seen, the fact that he is acting upon these promises of God bears witness to and evidence that God is real, that God is guiding him, because he's doing these things that don't naturally make sense. And when we think about especially that last story, where God asks him to kill his own son, we know how that story ends. God sends an angel, and Abraham doesn't kill his son Isaac, but instead he gets Isaac back and kills a ram and offers that to God instead. But that's a sign. It's a prefiguration of an even greater gift that God is going to give. God the Father gives us the gift of his own son, and his own son, Jesus Christ, is sacrificed. He dies on the cross, making a gift of himself to make up for all of the sins of all of humanity for all time. That is, so that we can be filled with his grace, we can be reconciled with the Father, that we can be with him forever in heaven. And Jesus tells us in our gospel passage, not explicitly, but indirectly, to have faith. He gives us something to hope for that we should try to seek to realize And that is that the Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. He wishes for us to be with him forever in heaven. But then he tells us, sell your belongings and give alms. Well, that's not natural. How many people want to be poor? And yet he's telling us to do this, to act on our faith. Does he mean we all have to be poor? No, his point is that we should be living for heaven. Because he says in the very next line, provide money bags for yourselves that do not wear out, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven that no thief can reach nor moth destroy. That we should be following God, his commandments, that we should be doing good works, that we should be more interested in the treasures of heaven and seeking a life of virtue and holiness than seeking material things here on earth or fame or anything that is very earthly. He's calling us to something greater. He's calling us to live out our supernatural faith, to live out in hope of that promise for heaven, that we can be with him forever. Then he goes into two different parables about servants. And if we listen closely, we'll notice he says twice, blessed are those servants. And one more time, blessed is that servant. And who are these servants that are so blessed? The ones who do what the master told them to do. The ones who are ready for the master's return. The ones who are eager to see the master. They are the ones that are blessed. They are the ones who are living off of the things that the master has provided for them. We too can be part of this blessed. In many ways we already are. We are filled with the grace of God through the sacraments. We are offered a multitude of graces, even in other ways, too, when we come to the Lord in prayer. We are given a lot. We are blessed abundantly. And we are called to be those servants who continue to be blessed by following the Lord. But we do know that not everybody wishes to do so. In fact, there are some who are concerned more about the things of earth. And those would be the kind of servants that would say to themselves, My master is delayed in coming, and then begins to take advantage of the servants, begins to eat, drink, and get drunk, lives for themselves and for the world. And what does Jesus say about such a servant? He says that such servants 
would be punished severely and be assigned a place with the unfaithful. That is, they're not going to be rewarded. They're going to be punished. They're not going to be with God forever in heaven. They're going to be separated from God forever. Because they knew what God had told them to do, and they refused to do it. They chose to live for the world instead of living for God and for heaven. We have been abundantly blessed ourselves. And Jesus gives us a warning about being filled with so many graces. Those who have an abundance of blessings, God's going to expect more from us. He says at the very end of our gospel passage, much will be required of the person entrusted with much, and still more will be demanded of the person entrusted with more. The more graces we receive from God, the more we are blessed, the more God expects us to follow his commands and to do his will. Someone who's just starting out in the faith, if they were to commit a sin, it's still an offense against God. But if someone who was very holy, like the apostles, who had done great miracles and spread the word throughout the world, if they were to commit that same sin, God would be much more offended by those apostles who had betrayed him than by the new disciple who's just starting along because those apostles had received so much more from God. So for them to do that same offense is more offensive to God because they have been given much, because they were entrusted with so much more. We ourselves, again, have been blessed by God with the sacraments, with the grace of God, with the ability to be reconciled with God, to have that grace won for us on the cross, made present to us at the altar. We're blessed to have God who comes to us in the Eucharist so that we could be united intimately with him. We are blessed abundantly. And so God calls us to live out our faith, that supernatural kind of faith, following his commands, doing good works, living for the hope of heaven, not for the things of earth. So let us think of at least one thing this week that we can do to better exercise and live out our supernatural faith as we prepare to meet our Lord Jesus Christ in the most holy Eucharist.